So duration of androgen deprivation therapy with radiotherapy has been a big question. A lot of trials have been done to kind of try to answer that question. I don't think that we still have a precise answer to that question. And then the, the um, interesting question becomes, what do you do in the clinic and, and how do you manage the patients? And I would say for <clears throat> high-risk prostate cancer, we know that androgen deprivation therapy together with radiation does increase overall survival and uh, cost-specific survival and progression-free survival, PSA, recurrence-free survival. So it is really beneficial. And overall survival difference is approximately 10% if you look at many different trials. So um, the duration in the randomized controlled trials have been tested, and there is various duration between as, as little as four months to up to 36 months. And the question is, is 36 months really necessary? Because patients do suffer from quite significant side effects during that period of time. So <clears throat> there are trials to show that 24 months is probably similar to 36 months. And then trial, URTC have done trial to look at is six months equivalent to 36 months. It seems like six months is probably not enough. 36 months is probably too long. Um, French Quebec trial has recently looked at whether 18 months versus 36 months is uh, equivalent. It seems that 18 months is actually not inferior to 36 months. So to make the whole question quite simple, I think what we do in the clinic these days is again assess the patients in terms of their cardiovascular health, age, tolerability of hormones, and of course their disease. And those who have high-risk disease, particularly extreme-risk prostate cancer, they always tend to get longer androgen operation therapy. I think the answer is really there is a continuous of these benefits. It's not, they're not cut points that are set in, in, uh, in time, but there's more like a continuous um, uh, risk of prostate cancer and continuous benefit from the, from the androgen operation therapy. So those with extreme disease usually, extreme risk disease usually get longer hormones, anywhere between 24 to 36 months. Those who have uh, high-risk disease, but um, towards the uh, kind of a, a biologically not as aggressive spectrum, they may get away with 12 to maybe 18 months uh, of, of treatment. And then for intermediate-risk cancer, there's actually two trials, and they both show that uh, there's a benefit to overall survival with only three to uh, actually six months of androgen deprivation therapy. And think probably that is standard these days, and that's what we use. So speaking of duration and, and being a head of proxy brachytherapy program in Vancouver, I do have to mention brachytherapy in this uh, context because it seems that brachytherapy has a very... Uh, uh, high dose, delivers very high dose of radiation that is very ablative to the prostate. So the benefit of using hormones together with brachytherapy boost or brachytherapy monotherapy is actually less than uh, when we use hormones with external beam radiation. And so another benefit that we've seen using brachytherapy in high-risk disease when we use it as a, as a boost is really in reducing the, the duration of total um, total duration of androgen suppression to perhaps uh, only 12 months as it's been shown in the SendRT trial that was uh, conducted in our institution and in some other centers in Canada. So I think the duration really depends on disease factors. Again, patients, tolerability, cardiovascular uh, morbidity they do have or they don't have, and of course their disease and the biology of the disease. So again, the question is duration of androgen deprivation therapy intermediate and high-risk patients and 
how do we choose the duration? So it really depends on patient's age, comorbidities. It depends on disease factors, the Gleason score, the PSA. Uh, in intermediate risk cancer patients, I think we usually use about um, six to maybe nine months of treatment together with external beam radiation. If we use um, brachytherapy, then we may not use hormones at all. Or if this is a um, high tier intermediate risk patients, then we don't use hormones at all. So one of the benefits of using brachytherapy is to either decrease the duration of androgen deprivation therapy or completely eliminate it. So because brachytherapy has very ablative um, effects on the prostate and, and there is a very small benefit of adding androgen deprivation therapy to brachytherapy in intermediate risk cancer patients. For high risk cancer patients, again, <clears throat> Um, to start with use of um, brachytherapy as a boost, I think we can reduce the duration of androgen deprivation therapy in, in those patients from perhaps 24 to 12 months or 36 to 12 months as per randomized trial, a standard randomized trial that was done in, uh, in British Columbia as well as uh, PMH, um, where the results are really in high-risk cancer patients quite outstanding with only 12 months of androgen deprivation therapy. If patients are not going to be treated with brachytherapy, then I think duration is anywhere between, again, 12 months to 36 months, depends on the risk factors, depends on, uh, again, patients' comorbidities, their age, how they tolerate hormones, depends on uh, whether this is uh, low-tier high-risk prostate cancer or high-tier high-risk prostate cancer, extreme-risk prostate cancer, and uh, it depends on the bulk of local disease, um, depends on basic... Um, PSA, Gleason score. So it's, it's a continuous um, uh, scale. So if we were to use external beam radiation with uh, androgen deprivation therapy alone without brachytherapy boost, then certainly the duration would depend on patient factors, their age, their comorbidities, how they tolerate hormones, but would also significantly be influenced by disease factors, their presenting PSA, their Gleason score, the bulk of the disease, and so all of that is really taken into account. And so worse the disease somebody has, then they probably should stay on hormones longer period of time, up to 36 months. But if they belong to high-risk group that is more towards um, uh, less biologically aggressive um, spectrum of the disease, then maybe 12 to 18 months would be sufficient. And I think as per randomized trial that is still not published, um, uh, the um, Quebec trial, 18 months may be non-inferior to 36 months, but I think the clinical judgment is always warranted. So, and then the other question is, what would be the use of androgen deprivation therapy in salvage setting, post-radical prostatectomy, or in adjuvant setting? And so, radiation oncology seems to be kind of introducing the hormone treatment now into that setting as well, more often, particularly after uh, RTOG 9601 was published, which is a trial that um, instead of using LHRH agonists or antagonists, used really bicalutamide as a hormone treatment for one year of duration with um, salvage or adjuvant radiation. And there is really 5% overall survival difference um, in patients who were treated with hormones and radiation versus those who only received hormones. And I think cost-specific survival is, again, 10% difference. So it, th there is a definitely benefit. And again, if you look at subgroup analysis, those patients who have 
PSA that is, I believe, over one as uh, 1.7. So those who have probably higher bulk disease benefit more than those who have lower bulk disease or lower PSA prior to starting radiation. And I don't think that comes as a big surprise because combining radiation and hormones have been done for the last 20 years and so many trials have shown that this is beneficial. So I really just see as that the whole trial is a confirmation of the whole principle, which radiation always combines actually quite well in, in, with hormones and there's a biological basis for that. So the question is again, who should we treat with uh, hormones and radiation in a post-operative setting? And again, you know, it comes down to patient's age or comorbidities, but also comes down to uh, disease factors um, and pathological stage and Gleason score that is uh, found on pathology, maybe invasion into seminal vesicles. So more positive margins, more, more of these um, high-risk features somebody has together with um, post-operative, looking at a post-operative PSA would be something that I would weigh more heavily towards um, adding hormones rather than not. So when do I add hormones? I add hormones if somebody had seminal vesicle invasion, if somebody has high Gleason score, 9 or 10 or even 8 after prostatectomy, somebody whose PSA is uh, definitely over um, probably 0 0.4, 0 0.5. We start talking about hormones. And uh, I don't think we completely understand what the additional benefit would be when we treat somebody with LHRH agonists versus casodex, what was done in the trial. And perhaps there is even more benefit, but I don't think we really know whether that's true or not. That's just speculation. Let's start with intermediate risk. Uh, everybody knows it is a very heterogeneous group of patients. And uh, with the risk factor, what we know today is that there is favorable patients in the intermediate group. And for me, they don't need ADT. I think they can be cured with radiation therapy alone. So in my practice for favorable group patients, with intermediate risk prostate cancer, I don't give ADT. ADT is very important for high risk in this group, the high risk in intermediate risk prostate cancer. And uh, we are talking of uh, patients with two, three risk factors. We are talking of patients with Gleason score four plus three. We are talking of patients with more than 50% of biopsy core positive, positive. And for these patients, uh, it's sure that uh, ADT is, uh, uh, is going to decrease uh, the prostate cancer evolution locally and uh, for micro uh, metastasis, for sure. So we are gaining of uh, freedom from prostate cancer. We are probably not changing the uh, overall survival. We know that for these patients, uh, the risk of death from prostate cancer in any trial is very, very low, but we are going to change the outcome for these patients. For intermediate risk prostate cancer, personally, I use six months of ADT, and when I use external beam radiation therapy, I will start after three to four months after the beginning of the treatments. And uh, <clears throat> is six months the right uh, duration? Yes, but you can probably use, we have data that you can probably use four months. 
So four to six months of ADT is a good duration for intermediate risk prostate cancer. Also in my practice, if uh, I have uh, intermediate risk prostate cancer with high risk features, and I face a patients with probably uh, some metabolic syndrome, obesity, diabetes, at that time, I will probably give just four months of ADT. Uh, for high-risk prostate cancer, it's, it's uh, also a very interesting question. All these patients have long-term duration of ADT. We know that the BOLA study, uh, 6 versus 36 months, is in favor of 36 months. We have our own study, phase 3 study, just released in European urology. When we compare eight, 18 months to 36 months, the standard of treatment, in our study, we didn't find any difference in overall survival when we reduced the duration of ADT to 18 months. So uh, personally, I use 18 months for many patients. Usually for uh, intermediate uh, prostate cancer, uh, this is an heterogeneous disease. And uh, for patients who have unfavorable risk, a lot of uh, two, three risk factors and uh, glycine score four plus three, more than 50% of the uh, biopsy core positive. Uh, for these patients, usually uh, uh, I'm using six months of ADT combining with external radiation therapy. But uh, there are data saying that four months probably sufficient for these patients. For high-risk prostate cancer, then again, you have a different high risk. You have high risk and very high risk. For the high-risk patients, I'm using 18 months of ADT combined with external beam radiotherapy. And for very high risk, these patients, if you can put these patients in clinical trials, it's the first choice. We have these clinical trials as the ATLAS trial running. If you don't have this clinical trial, it's a clinical judgment on the duration of ADT. If you are comfortable, you can go for further than that, 18 months, two to three years. This is the recommendation. For uh, radiation therapy and hormonal therapy, there, there are multiple facets to that. Uh, first and foremost, is it a radical radiation therapy or a salvage radiation therapy? Two, for radical therapies, is it a intermediate risk or high risk patient population? And if you look at, uh, let's divide this in two. Let's look at radical therapy patients who have prostate in place, and then we move on with uh, post-operative uh, salvage radiation therapy uh, to see if there's radiation hormone therapy for those patient populations. For patients with radical therapy, either intermediate and high risk, there is significant data that hormone therapy will benefit uh, these patient populations. Let's look at intermediate risk prostate cancer patients. Intermediate risk prostate cancer patients then by themselves are divided in multiple subclasses, low intermediate risk, intermediate intermediate risk, and high intermediate tier. For the high intermediate uh, prostate cancer patients, most of the uh, radiation oncologists do include a short course of hormonal therapy with radiation therapy 
be usually six months of hormonal therapy for those patient population. For early intermediate-risk prostate cancer patients, we, what we do normally is we try to redo um, the radiation therapy would be much more dose-intense. We give either bracket therapy or other sorts of uh, hypofractionation to boost the prostate cancer, and then the hormone therapy is given less and less in those patient population. If you look at the high-risk prostate cancer patients, up until recently, we had the BOLA trial that compared 36 months versus six months, and we, sh- we knew that 36 months was superior to that of six months overall survival benefit. Then recently, uh, Dr. Nabil published the, the PCS4 data, but was shown that 18 months is probably as good as 36 months uh, for high-risk uh, prostate cancer patients. Has that changed the practice? Do we give 18 months for those patient populations? Majority, yes. But you have to also keep in mind that for younger patients, aggressive disease, probably 18 months may not be adequate. They may probably... 24 months, uh, uh, on average, 24 months would be adequate because if you look at the data of PCS4, it was all comers. Uh, the rate, although they were high risk in general, but if you look at the PSA control and the, and the disease-free survival was superior with 36 months compared to 18 months, although overall survival did not pan out. Keeping that in mind, for younger patients who have a long duration of survival, Will this disease-free survival will, will eventually impact survival? We don't know, but we have to be cautious for patients who are younger and aggressive disease, probably giving uh, on average 24 months for those patient populations. So that is high-risk radical radiation therapy. Now let's move on to salvage radiation therapy. In salvage setting, we do, did not have very robust data until recently uh, that we had in RTUG9601 publications. Patients who have failed surgery and required salvage radiation therapy were then randomized to either receive 24 months of hormonal therapy versus uh, no hormone therapy. That being said, although they used beclutamide, which is not used now, we're using LHRH agonist, but the question is still is, uh, well answered in that study that patients who received 24 months of hormonal therapy survival is improved in those patient population. That being said, although patients who were eligible for the study were any T2 disease, margins positive, or T3 with a PSA of uh, at least 0.2 up to 4, then the question arises that should all those patients receive hormonal therapy of two years with radiation therapy? In my mind, no. Because if a patient has a releasing seven or positive margin and a PSA of 0.2 or 0.3, I don't think will benefit from additional hormonal therapy. But radiation therapy locally will probably control that. That being said, do I have data to support that? No, but if you look at the clinical setting and the patients in general, higher risk patients probably will benefit from it. But if patients are low releasing scores, just only positive margins for the PSA of 0.2, Probably most radiation oncologists to give radiation therapy alone, no hormone therapy. For the rest, most likely people will include hormone therapy and radiation therapy and solvent setting.
intermediate and high-risk prostate cancer patients, both for high-risk prostate cancer patients, they all receive radiation and hormone therapy together. The duration varies between uh, 18 to 24 months, and, and keeping in mind with PCS4 data, probably 18 months is as good as 36 or 24 months for those patient population. For younger patient aggressive, this is probably 24 months. That being said, um, uh, is there a, a difference? How do we evaluate patients? Yes, patients who are younger patient and aggressive disease, I tend to not give 18 months, I tend to give 24 months. Patients who are elderly or uh, although high-risk disease by definition, but not as aggressive, I will aim for the 18 months. So the, although the PCS4 data suggests that 18 months is as good as 24 months, there is significant patient um, characteristic that will play into decision-making of radiation oncologist either 18 months or 24 months. So Again, 24 months is for younger patient aggressive disease, although high risk for others, 18 months. And is there an important factor between LHRH agonist or any LHRH agonist as far as the cardiovascular um, comorbidity is concerned? At present time, I don't think there is solid data suggesting that is there any correlation between LHRH agonist uh, for, cardio, for cardiovascular event. If you look at retrospective data, meta-analysis of retrospective data, there is suggestion that there is cardiovascular um, LHRH uh, agonist could be a factor for cardiovascular uh, events. But if you look at all the uh, phase three prospective trials, they yet to show a difference for the cardiovascular event of the patients who have received LHRH agonist or received placebo and all the data that have been published so far. So at present time, we don't have a good level one evidence suggesting that LHRH agonist by themselves cause, um, as a drug entity, cause uh, cardiovascular event. That being said, I think there are ongoing clinical trials that will most likely answer that question. And again, uh, we'll see what those results are gonna pan out.